podcast which is called two girls one ghost two girls one ghost this is episode what episode is it 29 yeah i think so man We're almost to 33 which is almost 66 which is almost 666 if we ever reach 666 <laughs> episodes i mean how old will we be can someone do the math on that okay well we'll do 52 a year uh-huh. So 666 divided by 52. Quick math. Come on. 12.8 years. Wow. I hope I can afford a house. Have you, oh my gosh, do you think we can make enough money to afford houses on this podcast? No. You don't think? Believe in us. Why don't you believe? <laughs> Maybe in 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, no. Uh, I can't even afford to go to Wegmans over Trader Joe's right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is our hobby. This is by no means no a way of full-time income. But if we ever got there, ha, huh, bless. Where would you buy your first home? Okay, well, I have two plans. <laughs> I want a condo that's okay. like penthouse. Like, I want you to go into the elevator and you have to press P to get to me. And that will be downtown Boston. And then oh it will just be like a two, three bedroom. I don't know. Something modest. And then <laughs> I'll have <laughs> a house A on the modest lake. penthouse. I've never heard of just that before. Just a modest three bedroom, maybe four, plus the maid's quarters for the maids we don't mm-hmm. have because I don't work anymore. <laughs> um, I said we. <laughs> I hope someone lives with me. <laughs> you I'm and not. your fruit fly. <laughs> Me and my fruit fly. Um, and then I also want a house. I, I'm like, part of me is very, I haven't picked my place. I'm either going to end up back in Vermont somewhere like on Lake Champlain or Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire or Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So a house somewhere over there. You have a lot of choices. <sighs> yep. Where Where do you want to buy your first home? Um, Not Los Angeles because I won't get enough for my money. Right. Um... I've always wanted to live or have a house in the south of Italy. Oh, wow. Or like on the coast or south of France. Just some nice coastal home. Well, you know the Victoria and David Beckham's house is in the south of France. Well, there you go. The haunted house. You could buy that. I could buy that and I'd have some ghosts. A very intelligent ghost. We'd have very, we'd have very intellectual conversations. Right. I'd learn a lot. Become very learned in the history department. Yes. Oh, okay. Speaking of, so I mentioned in the Encounters episode that I have been listening to a book on Audible. Mm-hmm. And I just finished it, which was like the saddest thing because it was so good. And has, for the past two weeks, been keeping me so intrigued and captivated that I wanted my commute to be longer, which oh, is like, that's good. Why would I ever want to say that? <laughs> but the book was so good, and it's called The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. And I feel like I heard about this. I think it might have been listed on – there's that, like, book club sort of website that – Yeah. Uh, Goodreads? 
No, it's the one that... What's Julie Roberts' niece? Emma Roberts? Emma Roberts and her childhood best friend created a company. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, Reese Witherspoon has her book club, and she read it, I think, a few years ago. But it is amazing. And it's about two women, and it kind of follows their stories a little bit independently. Charlie and Eve, and Eve was a spy in the real-life Alice Network during World War One, and then Charlotte, Charlie, which is my favorite name ever. I love Charlie, too. You know. It's my drunk name. It's my alter ego. When I go out, I tell people my name is Charlie instead of Don't Sabrina. Don't do that. I want a name. If I have children, I want <laughs> All of my characters in my screenplays are named Charlie, the main characters. If I'm having girls, they're going to be Bradley and Charlie. Oh, I love that. And Hunter. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And if I don't have girls, I'll just get a bunch of female dogs and name them the same. <laughs> I love that. Um, but the book, it's so good. Yeah, it follows these two women, and it tells a story as they converge in the in the time after World War II. And it's amazing. And I just, yeah. What are you listening on? Audible? Audible. Yeah, I'm sad that it's over because I was really into it. So if anyone has re- recommendations for me, I'd love to know them um well i do have a recommendation for you because our friend marissa who we reference every other episode (laughs) she has a blog called a thousand candid words and she does like a little series where um i forget what it's called but it's like a little mini spark series thing where she just lists out things that she is like listening to or reading or what's Mm -hmm. inspiring her in the moment and she's reading a book that I read a long time ago, which is so good. What is it? Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Okay. About his climb to Everest, which they made into a movie. Oh, cool. He also wrote Into the Wild about that other man's experience where he went into the woods and ate poison. Oh, yes. They made a movie about that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Into Thin Air is actually such a good book. Okay. Good to know. So good. That will, and John Krakauer is just, like, an amazing writer. He makes you feel like you're there. Marissa's oh, reading cool. it right now, and she's very much enjoying it. Uh, did we already talk about how someone created a book club for Two Girls, One Ghost? Maybe, but we can talk again. I don't remember. I was so excited about it. And you can join it. Everyone can join it. it the link is on our Facebook page, but um, I think you have to be invited or click on the link that's on our Facebook page. So if you're interested in it. Yeah, it's on goodreads.com, right? Yeah. And you just basically make an account, which is free. You just make a profile, essentially. They're going to read The Broken Girls. The Broken Girls. Which I don't think is available until middle of March. So people kind of pre-ordered it and are awaiting. Ooh. Oh, I want to read. I'm excited. I was excited about that because I love reading. And I like that our listeners like to read, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Get lost in a book. Oh, speaking of, my mom is at my her parents, my grandparents' house right now visiting, and she said that grandma, the G-ma, was like, hey, let's go into the other room and relax. And so my mom was <laughs> like, okay. And so she went and grabbed her book and went into the room, and then G-ma sits back in her chair and puts on our podcast. <laughs> and my mom was like, this is not relaxing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I I think she's our number one fan. I think so, too. She listens to all of them. That's amazing. She's, she's almost 
almost caught up and she didn't start that long ago because she'll text me about things that happened like a few episodes back and be like, wait, I don't remember this or blah, 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 you know? Wow. She didn't remember the story of me trying to climb up her wall by putting chewed up gum on my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Blocked it out of her memory. Yeah. But it was so funny and like my grandma's a very big reader. Her and my mom and myself often recommend each other books and share books. I love that. Um, Oh, The Glass Castle. I read that because my grandma Oh, I love it. The Glass Castle. So good. So good. We read that for my my personal book club. Did you see the movie? There's a movie I of it. I still haven't seen the movie. I really enjoyed it. It was good. I just love, I mean, I love anything that Brie Larson does, so. I know. She's amazing. I just, I'm just nervous that it's going to, you know, when people remake yeah, a book. It is hard. You know what else is a really, really good book? What? The Lovely Bones. Yes. The movie is amazing, and it's the only book that I read the movie. I mean, I watched the movie <laughs> first, and then I went back to read the book. I never do that. I have to read the book first yeah. in order to watch the movie. But I did it for this one, and oh, my God, it was so good. This is now turning into a podcast about books. <laughs> I need to read The Stranger Beside Me. Great. This is amazing. I was looking for new books, and now I have so many. (laughs) I actually think that I might have had a paranormal experience the other night. (gasps) I've been somewhat in denial You've waited so long to tell me this. What? Well, because I'm still not sure if it was just me. But I was in my bed. This is why I don't like it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I was in my bed, and then my sheets kind of, like, tucked they were really tight and like tucked under my leg and I kept pulling them out and sheets just lay normally nice on you. Right. And it kept moving and tucking back tight and under my leg. And it like, it didn't do that the next night or any other night that I've ever been in this Did room. you feel something pushing it under your leg or it would just keep getting tucked? No, I felt something. But it felt like a heavy pressure, just kind of like a hand just coming and scooping and like tucking their hand underneath my leg. And in the process of doing so, they really tightened the sheets around my leg. So it sounds nice. Yeah, I just let it, after pulling the sheet out like three times and it happening again, I just let it be. Honestly, like most ghosts try to pull your feet out of the covers. I'm okay with a ghost keeping your feet under the covers right that's kind of nice. it wouldn't be the first time that i've been tucked in because when i was i think it was when i was in high school there were two nights in a row that i was actually cocooned like tucked into my bed like you could see all the do 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 along both sides what? of my body all the way down someone tucked me tuck tuck whoa made me a little burrito i wonder if it's one of your family members yeah, maybe. Or wrinkles. <laughs> Ranks in human form tucking me in. No, wrinkle in dog form tucking you in. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a hard move for his skinny little legs to reach out. And... I don't know. If any dog can do it, I believe wrinkles can. Oh my yeah, gosh, this well... could be a wrinkles volume of his uh, little children's book. Oh, I know. I need to get writing that. Wrinkles tucks me in at night. Oh, I have a Google Doc called Rinks, and oh. I haven't written anything. 
But it's there. It's there to remind me that when I have a free moment, eventually, when I'm 80, I can write it. In one of, in your penthouse in Boston. Mm hmm. If you don't have to click P in the elevator, then I don't want to live there. Right. You're going to just write on the button. It will be like the second floor, but you'll just write P over the <laughs> two. <laughs> I just want to be bougie, okay? <laughs> and then you'll have a little butler with a tray of champagne standing outside the elevator waiting. Oh, are you here for Miss Corinne? It's actually my husband, and I'm like, just <laughs> have him dress up when guests are coming over. <laughs> oh, the dream. Oh, the dream. Well, okay, so speaking of your tucking in, it reminds me of my story that I'm going to tell you because – and I've been waiting to tell you this story for about a month. So I think everyone knows Corinne has been asking me what is in the folder that <laughs> says, do not look, Corinne, mm-hmm. in all caps, and I'm finally going to read it. Blessed be this day. Which I also realized – I mean, I should have realized this sooner, but – Marking a folder, do not look, Corinne, in all caps, is probably not the best thing to keep you from looking. You know what? I had great willpower. I never, never, I don't even know if there was one email in the folder, three emails. I didn't (laughs) even click. I'm proud of you. I like these types of surprises. That's true. I have willpower around ghost stories, but not around food. (laughs) (laughs) That's the differentiating factor. (laughs) Okay. Well, we chose to talk about, um haunted movie sets this week which kind of paired nicely with our last week's topic of haunted celebrities mm-hmm. so i chose the conjuring <sighs> which conjuring. i feel like everyone knows that movie but if you don't it came out uh in july of 2013 and it has an 86 percent on rotten tomatoes and it's probably one of the better horror movies that mm-hmm. I've seen. That's an amazing score for a horror movie yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Critics and don't like to be scared. No. But also, it's based on a real story, which is even more terrifying. Right. The movie tells the story of the Perron family as they move into their new home. Things quickly escalate, and the spirits inside their home become increasingly violent. They contact Ed and Lorraine Warren for their expertise in the in the hopes of ridding their home of the spirits, and... The movie is based on the true story, like I said, and it follows it pretty similarly, but I was going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the true story and then we'll get into like how the set was very haunted. Okay. And the email we got might just be from the daughter slash niece of the writers. (gasps) What? Of the movie The Conjuring. Are you kidding me? (laughs) She knows our names? She knows who we are. So did oh her. Oh my god! Yeah, her dad and her uncle wrote the movie. This is the coolest thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Are we gonna be haunted now? No, but they know who we are too. So it's Chad and Carrie Hayes were the writers of the movie. Oh my god! <laughs> and their daughter slash niece Hannah emailed us their personal experiences from the set of The Conjuring. <gasps> Holy crap! Oh my god! I know. <laughs> It's late at night, so I'm, like, trying not to yell because I have neighbors, but... <laughs> it is... Holy crap! Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, which I already did, but... Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. 
So the real story is that in 1970, Roger and Carolyn Perrin bought a new home in Harrisville, Rhode Island. They had been saving up for this house for a very long time, and it was perfect. It was everything they could ever have wanted. The house was originally built in 1736, and it had nearly 200 acres of land, and it was perfect for them and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, I only wrote four, and Cynthia. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I'm sorry to the fifth. Or maybe there were only four and I wrote five. I don't know. I'm sorry. I apologize. I can't be perfect. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Shit. I should look that up. No, it's fine. It happens. All right. You guys can look that up then. Yeah. Have other people look it up and then they can go into a hole. And yell at us and tell us, it was four daughters or it was five daughters. And how dare you forget so-and-so. I'm sorry. Okay. So the day that they moved into their home, the neighbors came by, not with, like, nice little treats or brownies, but with a warning. They said, for the sake of your family, leave all of the lights on at night. Excuse me. What? Um, neighbors say what? Yeah, neighbors, where were you when the real estate agent was showing us the property? Yeah, excuse me. I think neighbors have an obligation if they know that the home next to them is for sale and it's haunted to be at the street when a home when a family goes to even like view it and warn them. I wonder if that's legal though, if that's like obstruction of sale. <laughs> mm. Actually someone posted on our Facebook group about how there's one case, like it's a famous case in law where um a family sued because the house was haunted and then basically it was like this whole case of like do you have to tell someone that the house is haunted or not and how can you actually prove it and like it was just very complicated but there's a a case about it i kept thinking like well you do tell that but it's you tell you Mm -hmm. have to disclose if anyone died in louisiana property but in louisiana houses have signs above the for sale sign that says not haunted louisiana again I think I mentioned it, I think it was Louisiana in our Encounters episode that has the registry for animal abusers. Go Louisiana. Got your beignets and your non-haunted houses. (laughs) And they also have voodoo, so. And people show their boobs on Mardi Gras. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) Okay, so the Perrin family lived in the home. They moved in, but it didn't take long for them to notice that they weren't the only ones living in the house. They would hear strange noises in the middle of the night. Furniture would move around on its own. Toys would disappear and reappear in piles under the children's bed. And there was so much activity that they believed that there were a wide variety of spirits, some that were good. And I'll tell about those first because good news should always come first. Okay. So the parent children claimed that some of the spirits would act as caregivers or babysitters and would tuck them in at night and kiss their foreheads goodnight. Oh. Yeah. And one of the daughters actually said that the woman that tucked them in smelled like flowers and fruit, which is kind of sweet and nice. That is very nice. But the children were also often attacked in the barn by unseen entities and voices would speak to them at night. There was one night where... Cindy woke up and heard a disembodied, demonic voice that said, There are seven soldiers buried in the wall. What? Did you hear what I said? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. And every... And that's a really long sentence. I know, right? But I feel like that's such a common thing. Even in um, Jerome Crawford's house, 
it seemed like there were bodies buried or something. Mm-hmm. But every morning at 5.15 a.m., the family would smell an awful smell wafting through the house. They said it smelled like rotting flesh, and it would force the family awake one by one. That's the sign of a demonic presence. Ex- sulfur, that is rotting flesh. Exactly what I thought. Mm-hmm. But also interesting that it's 5.15 a.m., and I wonder what that means. Yeah, I wonder if maybe something happened on the property that was really awful and tragic or evil at that time. That's possible. Or if it was trying to predict something to happen at that time, set that time for something, you know, like in Amityville Horror. There was a certain date when he shot all the family. Oh, I don't like a certain time. That's scary. Um, There were also... Incubus and succubus spirits in the house. With children. It's really sad. So they're kind of vague in what happened. But Andrea said that a male ghost tortured and abused her and her sisters. And she wouldn't give concrete details. But she did say, in quotes, let's just say there was a very bad male spirit in the home with five little girls. So read into that the way you would like. To me, it sounds like something very questionable happened to those little girls. Yeah. Um, And then there was a succubus that would visit Roger. And this is the spirit that the movie The Conjuring focused on. And her name is Bathsheba Thayer. Bathsheba was born in 1812. She was the mother to four children. And three of her children had passed away at a very young age. Keep in mind, it was also like 1812. So the mortality rate of children was a lot higher Wait, but, so the succubus is an actual person that they can trace back to? Yes. This is what they believed. And it was Ed and Lorraine who kind of figured out all this information. But mm-hmm. the people in the town became suspicious of, Beth- of Bathsheba, and they believed that she was sacrificing her children to the devil. And it was believed that she was the strongest spirit in the home, and she made it very clear that she did not want the Perron family there, except for Roger. She would... She apparently had formed a crush on Roger and wanted him to herself. So she would off- so Roger claimed he would often feel a spirit touching him very inappropriately. And the same spirit would torture Carolyn, pinching, slapping, hitting her, and leaving violent marks on her body. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She would appear phys- in physical form in order to scare the family. And she once appeared in the middle of the night and screamed, Get out! Get out! I'll drive you out with death and gloom. That's not cool. No. Like, besides just driving a wedge between the family and the parents themselves, like, that's just terrifying. And she clearly had – she made her intentions very clear. Like, get out or I will do something terrible. And she was. She was hurting them. And, like – the children and other people in the family were being physically thrown from their beds. And there's one scene in the movie that sticks up, that stuck out to me and was absolutely terrifying for me. It was the hide and clap sequence. Yes, the... Yeah. Mm. And it was just as scary in real life. The daughters retold the story where they once decided to play the game on their property and Cynthia chose to, side, chose to hide in this wood box. It didn't have a latch, a lock, or anything, but it also didn't have any ventilation. And when she was hiding in there, she was trying to get, like, at a point, she was like, oh, no one's finding me. So she tried to get out. 
and it would not budge. She was kicking and screaming and this box did not have a lock or anything. So there was no reason that she could have been stuck in there. Um, it just simply wouldn't open. She was stuck in the box for 20 whole minutes until, uh, her sister Nancy came and opened the box from the outside without a problem. (gasps) Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. Without a problem. Like Nancy came and it was just like, pop goes the weasel, you know? I need to rewatch this movie. I know. I almost did on the plane ride home last night, but Netflix doesn't let you download it, which is actually kind of a good thing. Dang it. I've been thinking about it a lot, though, because I'm starting up again on Bates Motel, mm-hmm. and the mom in Bates Motel is the one who plays Lorraine Warren in The Conjuring. Yes. Vera. Vera Farmiga. Farmiga. She has had some experiences <gasps> on the set. She's in a lot of horror movies, so she I is. bet. She's so she amazing. I know. More than just this. So, it eventually got so bad that they requested the help of our good friends. Not really good friends, but we love them. Ed and Lorraine Warren. (laughs) They have no idea who we are. (laughs) Yes. Ed is also has passed away. Lorraine is the only one still alive. But we love them. So, that means we're friends. Okay. They came to inspect the home and came to the conclusion that Bathsheba had possessed the body of Carolyn, the mom. And the one difference in the movie from reality is that in the movie... The Warrens performed an exorcism and were able to free Carolyn and the parents of Bathsheba's spirit. But that is not what happened in real life. In real life, the hauntings actually became way worse once Ed and Lorraine came to the home. So the parents just asked them to leave. And the family was in such a financial crisis because they had spent so much money on this house that they were unable to move out of the house until 1980. So they were in the home for a full 10 years. And experiencing this for 10 full years. Yeah. That seems insane to me. I know. But they just couldn't, like, we always say, when in doubt, move out. But we also understand that, like, you pump all your money. Yeah. Into a property and you, yeah, you can't always leave. Exactly. Things happen. You have children. Your money's tied into this place. Mm hmm. Oh, my God. Saved up your whole life for it. And now, yeah, you just kind of have to continue with your life. So Bathsheba continued to haunt the family. She eventually left Carolyn's body, but it was still around for the fam around the family and constantly causing them terror. They eventually moved out in 1980 and they moved to Georgia and tried to put all the hauntings in the past. Uh, Their daughter, Andrea ended up writing a book called house of darkness, house of light, all about their experience in the home. Well, that is is the book you should read. Well, I should. (laughs) I want to read read that. Well, we can read it and then talk about it on the podcast. That would be fun. Okay. okay. We can read it in July. We can start in July. That's when you have more time. For <laughs> okay. So according to the family, they were invited to the set of the movie, and they were all going to go, but at the last minute, Carolyn got cold feet and decided not to go. And so she, the rest of the family went while Carolyn stayed at home. While they were on set, Andrea and the family were being interviewed when all of a sudden a huge gust of wind swept over the family knocking down all of the cameras, lights, and everything else around them. And crew members that were standing nearby noticed that all the trees around where they were interviewing the family mm-hmm. were not moving at all. There was no breeze. <gasps> Ooh. It gets worse. That night, they got home, or back to the hotel that they were staying at, and they learned that their mom, Carolyn, had fallen and broken her hip at about the same exact time that they experienced the rogue wind knocking everything down on set. Carolyn said that she felt something strange in their home in Atlanta and something evil. And then all of a sudden she fell, breaking her hip in the fall. 
And this is a different house because they different house. moved out of their haunted house. Mm-hmm. So they believe that her curse has followed them or that she, that Bathsheba just didn't like the idea of being exposed. Mm-hmm. So there are other strange events that surround the making of the movie. The hotel that the actors and the crew were staying in caught fire a few days after Carolyn broke her hip and every single person in the hotel had to be evacuated. And the crew members believe that the town of Wilmington where they filmed the movie, was haunted, which is possible a lot of towns have spirits, so it might not be connected specifically to Bathsheba, but who knows. The crew members said that they would hear noises in the dead of night and that objects would move around them on their own. And the director, whose name is James Wan, had experienced some really weird things himself, and I'll read more of that when I get to the email because there are some specific stories. But then Vera Farmiga, who played the role of Lorraine Warren, said she refused to take the script home with her because it made her feel really uneasy. She also couldn't read the script at night because she would become paralyzed with fear, which I feel like happens to me when I do anything about this podcast. So, (laughs) like, that's normal, right? If you're reading anything scary at night, you're scared. It's terrifying. And, too, I wonder, I mean, obviously, there are other movie sets out there that had weird curses or were haunted and they were not horror movies but it seems like the majority of films or of sets that are haunted have to do with like ghosts or something really dark totally and it makes me wonder if it's because it's such a scary topic that you already are nervous just and on edge the scripts or yeah yeah and then you've opened yourself up and maybe it's like a whole group of what 200 cast and crew on set filming a scene and everyone's got the jitters and it opens right up this like portal for everything to come in right or if it's like the spirits that you're telling the story of don't want you to tell the story or they are divas and want the story to be told correctly and they you know they have very strong opinions about it mm-hmm. yeah but for vera farmiga it actually got really scary so like the, her for her fear is understandable and that happens i don't think that's necessarily paranormal but When the director first sent her the script, she read it immediately and loved it. She went to sleep that night and had, like, decided that she was going to Skype James Wan the next morning to talk about the role. That next morning when she woke up, she opened her laptop, and there were three deep scratches on her computer screen, like claw marks. No way! And there was no explanation. I can't believe she went through with it. And it gets worse. After accepting the role, she would randomly wake up between 3 and 4 a.m. every single night. That's not a coincidence. That's That's creepy. That's creepy. Okay. Holy crap. And now I'm going to read the email. Okay. Okay. So it's in two parts. Hannah says, spooky story from the set of The Conjuring. Hey, ladies. I absolutely love your podcast. It's so fun to listen to because I feel like I'm hanging with a couple of friends, drinking wine, chatting ghosts, which happens often. Anyway, I think I have a pretty great ghost story for you, so here it goes. A little backstory for this. I'm not sure if you guys are the fans of The Conjuring, but my dad and uncle were the ones who wrote it. How cool. My brother... Oh my gosh. I know. It's amazing. My brother was a camera PA, and my cousin worked in the art department, so it was a family affair. So if you've seen the movie, you know how fucking terrifying it is. And (laughs) (laughs) And those guys wrote it. That came from their minds. I know. Um, and the fact that it's all true is kind of hard to handle. There's a scene in the movie where Ed Warren, played by Patrick Wilson, is showing a reporter around the artifact room. This is the room 
which is true in real life, where they kept all the objects that were conduits from their past cases, including the Annabelle doll. He goes on to explain what a conduit is and so on. So after filming the scene for that day, the crew was wrapped at about 3 a.m. I know, 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. My brother being the camera PA was the lowest on the totem pole and had to be the last one on set to make sure all the equipment was packed away and out of there. Everyone had already gone home, so all of the lights were off, of course, and he was using his cell phone light. He was walking through the shelves filled with the antiques, looking at the ground, making sure they had packed everything when this tiny silver tea kettle caught his eye. He walked past when he heard something slide along the shelf and hit the ground. Turning around immediately, he shined his light on the ground, and the tea kettle was spinning in circles on the ground. Oh my god, no! No! No. He said he booked it out of there so fast and didn't care if he left anything behind. I just love that story. It it spooks me every time I tell it, and I thought you guys would love it too. My leg hair just grew like three centimeters. But okay, so it wasn't the real artifact room. It was just like the the, The replica, um, yeah. The the replica for it for the movie. But that is terrifying. And it's 3 a.m. Ugh. I wonder where they filmed. Do you know? Wilmington. Okay, because I was thinking, because I know some of, like, the stages and stuff um, are known for being haunted out in, like, Burbank. Yeah, that's true. But there's just so much history with all of them. Um, <sighs> but there's more. Okay. Okay. I told her about how this was a sneaky email. She says, I love that my story is a sneaky secret email. My dad and uncle were so cute when I told them that I submitted my brother's story. They got all excited and were like, can we call in? Do they need more stories? They're so knowledgeable of that world. It's crazy. I don't know how my dad sleeps at night, honestly. Just in case the call thing doesn't work out for the episode, I have some great other stories they threw at me the other day when I told them about your podcast. This will most likely be too long to read, so you can choose if you want to tell these. Uh, No, I'm going to tell them all. (laughs) Okay, so here we go with some conjuring trivia and some other stories that I think just sparked the ghost demon interest for my dad and uncle in the first place. She is going to be the coolest person. Like, when you're at a party, she's the one that you want to talk to. Oh, I realize we have a mutual friend, so like. (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. It's a girl who's actually in my book club. No way! This is so, oh my gosh. Such a small world. So. The actual Lorraine Warren was completely involved with the authenticity and real whole storytelling process from the get-go. I can't even tell you how many calls my dad and uncle had with her. She was even on the set for most of the time, and I got to meet her at the premiere. So cool. She's an actual angel. So my dad and uncle used to talk to her on the phone quite frequently to hear everything that happened during her cases. My dad told me that pretty often they would hear voices or news noises through the phone while they were talking to Lorraine, and it would drown out what she would say. When the voices would come in, Lorraine would start praying immediately, over and over, until the voices stopped. Then she would say to my dad and uncle, what were they talking about? It needs to be in the movie because they were trying to stop us from telling it. So scary. (gasps) Oh my god! So maybe it is these spirits that are just like trying to interfere with... The telling of their stories. Also, also, it's wild, too, that she knew that it was happening. Because I, I had imagined it as, like, you know, like someone else is talking and they don't right. even realize that there's a sound coming through. And the person on the other end is like, what the hell? But she knew. Yeah. Because she's so in tune with all of that stuff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, gosh. On set, while Lorraine was there, one of the crew members asked my dad and uncle if they could ask Lorraine what a red top meant as your aura. 
So during the lunch break, they asked Lorraine what it means, and she told them it means anger and darkness. So then she started scanning the meal tent for who it was that they were talking about and saw this man instantly. She got up, went over to the man, and introduced herself and asked to speak with him in private. My dad says that they never found out what they said, what she said to him, but all she said was, he'll never have that hanging on him again. Oh. Which is nice. Lorraine got rid of whatever this anger I know. thing was. There must have been, like, maybe an attachment or something happened, mm-hmm. and his aura was that color. This is... Lorraine is the type of friend you need to have in your life. I know. She just comes in and she fixes the problem immediately. Yeah. Also on set, there were multiple objects that Lorraine had asked the set dressers to get rid of. One in particular was a giant doll, like adult human size. She said that it had to be tossed immediately because there was something awful and dark attached to it. What I want to know is why is scary shit always attached to dolls? This is what I'm saying. (laughs) And two... Not to interrupt this story. No, it's okay. But I met someone the other day through a friend. We were all out, like, at a brewery, and then I went over a different time to hang out with her after. And Mm -hmm. her and her roommate told me that it was, like, last year or I don't know when it was, but sometime in the past, like, five or six years, Robert the Doll was – wait, was it Robert? I can't remember if it was Robert the Doll or if it was the Annabelle, the – that doll. The Raggedy Ann one. I can't remember which doll it was, but basically somewhere in Massachusetts, they had a dinner and like a viewing of the doll. And so they had dinner next to the doll. Dinner and possession. Yeah. And then they were in their car leaving. And as they were backing out, they both saw a face like in the, in the back. In the back seat? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's terrifying. Just avoid dolls in general. Okay, back to the email. Also, another crazy story. The director, James Wan, always, always, always used to read changes my dad and uncle wrote in the middle of the night, alone. So while they were in North Carolina, James adopted a sweet little pup. One night between 3 and 4 a.m., James's dog came running into his office, turned his back to James, looked up into the corner of the room, and started growling. A really deep growl and wouldn't move. So the Um, dog definitely sensed something. I know. I'm just, like, frozen in fear. (laughs) I don't even know what to think. These are too many things happening. There's so much. So that's what I have as far as the story surrounding The Conjuring. But then I also read, so The Conjuring has done sequels since the first movie. Yeah, I haven't seen the second one. I haven't either. But for the second, so there was an interview with Patrick Wilson about The Conjuring 2 where he said that they had to have a priest come to set to bless it because they were afraid it was haunted. I can't believe everyone returned for a second I know. movie. Yeah. So for the second movie, they actually caught it's on. There's a video of it, but there was a huge curtain that went from the fl- a curtain curtain that went from the floor to the ceiling, and it was just started. It just started violently waving. There was no door open, no fan, nothing. There was no reason for it to be waving like that. There was no person controlling it. And there were people, like, all trying to figure out what was happening. But it was just violently shaking for a full minute. Holy crap. And so they they called a priest in to bless the set before the cast and crew started shooting the film. Whoa. But then – so then I thought this was interesting just because we're talking about haunted movie sets. Uh, Hannah sent us two stories in regards to how her dad and uncle kind of got into the horror film careers. 
so I'll just read them. They're short. The first one is, her dad and uncle went to high school for a few few years up in Lake Tahoe. They lived in this super awesome 70s cabin that her grandparents still have today. I also grew up going there every Christmas. Anyway, one night, my dad and uncle were out partying and had to sneak back in. My grandparents' room was at the bottom of the stairs, and they had to go down to get to their room. Then they had to go around a corner and walk down a hallway. As they both rounded the corner, they both saw a tall, dark figure at the end of a hallway. My dad said it was more of a shape, and it was large. But they definitely got a terribly awful, scary feeling from it. After seeing it, they both jumped into the bathroom and slammed the door, freaking out. They both decided that they would brave the creepy shadow and crawl out of the bathroom with a towel over them. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> the things like, that people do. with a towel. Yeah. Or maybe it's like, if we look like a ghost, they won't, they won't know. <laughs> As they were crawling out, they bumped into something. Stopping, they looked up. And my grandpa was looming over them in a very agitated way. They both started yelling that they saw something, blah, blah. But, you know, they got sent to bed and were called crazy. Growing up, no one ever wanted to sleep in a certain room in my grandparents' cabin. We wonder why. And then my dad and uncle used to live in an awesome house in their mid-20s up in the Hollywood Hills. So chic. It used to belong to this famous French film actress named Corinne. (gasps) Corinne Calvet. My dad had the master bedroom. It had this amazing huge window, he says, looking out over the pool, and the moonlight would always shine in at night. One night, he woke up to this dark sort of passing object and heard little noises. Once he finally woke up from his sleep, he could not believe what he was staring at. There was a short, fat, bald man staring at him. He was just looking at my dad and kept trying to cross his legs, but he couldn't because he was a little too chubby. My dad kept... (laughs) (laughs) The ghost was too chubby. Yeah, and like kept trying to cross his legs. <laughs> Some things don't change. We were just <laughs> saying in one of our past episodes that like, you know, when you pass over, you're probably brought back to your prime state. But <laughs> maybe not. Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> my dad kept asking him what he wanted and why he was there, but he wouldn't answer. The next morning, my dad chalked it up to just a very vivid, vivid dream. So, cut to many nights later, my dad and uncle are at some party in the neighborhood. They're chatting with this woman who says, Oh, there's this woman who used to live at your house. Um, You should come meet her. My dad's like, sweet, we can give all this random fan mail that we've been collecting to her. So they meet her, and then all of a sudden she goes, Oh, by the way, have you met Henry? My dad and uncle, obviously confused, say no. She says, Oh, he's the short, fat, bald man that sort of lounges around. He's the ghost that lives there. He's my just dad trying and, to be comfortable in the yeah, Hollywood Hills. hang out, lounge around. My dad and uncle just about fell over. I just really love that story, and I always think it's always a fun one to share in between all the scary tales. Uh, keep up the fabulous work, gals. XX, Hannah. Oh, and then she says, P.S. Uh, she sent a photo, and it's of her dad and uncle with the demon from The Conjuring. Fun fact, his name is Joe, and he wrote and did all of the music from the movie. No way. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure her dad and uncle are twins because otherwise they just look creepily identical. Is the guy in costume? Yes, it? it's terrifying. I accidentally okay, scrolled down to it tonight. I accidentally scrolled down to it before reading the whole email and I was like, yikes, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. Wow, I am elated that Hannah emailed Isn't us. Isn't that so cool? And that her dad and uncle included their stories and her brother. Yeah. This is a amazing. family affair. 
I could not have asked for something more cool. I, I really felt like we made it after yeah. receiving that We're email. fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they listen to our podcast. The inside scoop into the Conjuring haunting. Ugh, so cool. I just want to hang out Beyond our Google searches. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And I actually looked up. I mean, a, a few of those stories were already on the internet, but not all of them. So you guys got an inside scoop. Thanks, Hannah. I It just blows my mind, again, that all the actors in the cast and crew would continue to work on the movie. Like, after having those terrifying experiences, they're like, oh, cool, got a second script? I'll head right back. Hey, you gotta make some money somehow, so. Oh my gosh. And I want to know what the voices were saying over the phone. <laughs> Me too. Well, maybe they're in the movie. With subliminal messages. Or it's just straight up just telling the story of the ghost is what they didn't want. <sighs> yeah, I'll have to rewatch in the daylight. Speaking of movie sets, they have the best snacks and oh, crafty! That's the one thing I miss about crafty. Hollywood. Yeah, crafty. The craft services cart always made best friends with the crafty <laughs> people. Yeah. What movie did you do? <sighs> okay, well, I'm gonna do a really quick one first, and then I did the Omen. <gasps> no. <laughs> This one was so good. I was, this is probably the episode that I enjoyed writing the most. I was like, like hands, like a blazing on the keyboard. <laughs> I was feverishly writing. Oh, it was intense. It was oh my intense. Gosh. But um, I wanted to do a little quick one first because I love okay. Ghost Whisperer. <gasps> I saw this. Yes. And I know it's not a movie set, but it's a TV set. So it's still the same. Ghost Whisperer has five seasons, which came out between mm-hmm. 2005 and 2010. Um, I think I have seen every single episode because it was always playing when I got home from school. I have seen every single episode probably twice because my mom loved it, so I'd it's watch it with her. And then I recently binge-watched it on Netflix. Really? Oh, I should rewatch mm-hmm. it. It's truly amazing. It really is. Anyway, the show stars Jennifer Love Hewitt, who plays Melinda Gordon, and Melinda Gordon is a seemingly normal woman who lives in a small town as an antique shop owner, but her second job that she's not paid for, so maybe, what do we call that, a hobby? Like this. Like us. (laughs) (laughs) Our second job, a hobby, uh, (laughs) is that she comes, she can see spirits, and she comes across these earthbound spirits, and she helps them deliver messages to their loved ones and helps them with any unfinished business that they have so that they can move on into the light. But it also gets really scary. It's, <laughs> ooh, the shower scene. Do you remember that? I feel like they put her in the shower a lot. Well, she's hot. Yeah, hot, she hot. There was one shower scene, though, that scarred me. There's a hat man in that, isn't there? Probably. There's so I'm, much. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm, sure like, remembering all the episodes. They're all flashing back to me. I'm like, oh, and then the little boy, and then the mom, and oh. then the place, and oh, okay. And her husband. Oh. oh, her husband, her friend. Oh, everyone. Ah. Everyone okay. needs to go watch it. <laughs> it's good. But apparently this set had quite a few paranormal occurrences while they were filming. Lights would move. Lights would even explode. And props oh. would be moved around or go missing altogether. And there was one instance where crew members felt like they were being touched, and Jennifer Love Hewitt even felt her dress being tugged at. And the set earned yeah. a reputation for its haunting, and certain guest stars actually turned down roles for fear of Whoa. being on the haunted set, apparently. So they say. 
most notably, though, is what they captured on film. There were multiple times where they would see people in shots that weren't actually there. Like, they would yell at someone, like, get out of the shot. And then when they'd pull back, no one would actually be in the shot. But in the camera, you could see someone. So we had a few extras living out their ghost dreams of Famous ghosts. Yep. Except that they didn't get paid for it, so that sucks. That's okay. They don't need money. We don't know that. We don't know how the ghost world works. That's true. We don't. (laughs) I just assumed that they barter. (laughs) Battering. But anyway, so one particular time, though, was notable beyond just seeing random ghosts in the frame. Mm -hmm. But there was one particular time where the cast noticed something weird happening behind Jennifer Love Hewitt. There's like some weird movement while she was acting and someone drew attention to it or whatever. And then she turned around and she spotted a shadow. And then when they looked back on the footage, they actually saw a ghostly figure standing behind her. So they caught a ghost on tape. I want to know what it was. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if the footage exists anywhere still. We just need the ghost whisperer writers to email us. I know. Please, everyone who were ever worked on a haunted set. I'm going to find them. Um, And then you can actually go and visit the set, sort of, because uh, the town square, which is where they did a lot of filming and where like, Melinda's antique shop was, it's on the Universal Studios lot. So if you go on like to Universal Studios out in LA and you go do the back lot tour, they'll drive you through the town square. Which has been used in a ton of different yes. shows. It's like Ghost Whisperer, Back to the Future movies, la di da. Wait, I actually, I'm pretty sure one of the writers I work with on Blindspot wrote for Ghost Whisperer. <gasps> no way. I'm gonna ask her all this tomorrow. You should. Oh my gosh. I just had to double check it, but I'm, yeah, she 100% wrote for it. I feel starstruck again, and I don't even know her. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I'll give you guys an update on that. Yeah, please do. Okay, but now to. The one that I chose. The Omen. I don't think I've ever seen this movie. Really? Or I've seen both. I'm such a chicken. It's, yeah. They're both scary. So the Omen movie came out in 1976. And then the remake came out in 2006. I've seen both. And both are terrifying. I will say the more recent one is a little bit easier to follow. Um, Interesting. But the 1976 one has a higher rating from critics. Mm. So maybe I'll just have to watch both. But a lot of the hauntings happened on the set of the 1976 film, so the original one. And the premise of The Omen is that there's an American ambassador and his wife, and they have a child together, but their son is murdered in the hospital or something (gasps) happens to him. And the ambassador replaces their child with another one without (gasps) his wife knowing. And it turns out that the child... That they are now raising is the Antichrist. Oh, the devil. Where do you find the Antichrist child? In the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and who are these parents oh, who I actually gave birth? I have like Rosemary's baby left at the hospital, and then they. Oh, I still haven't seen Rosemary's baby. Oh, it's good. It's sitting in my queue. I really love Rosemary's baby. Okay, I just gotta watch. Which it. also is another movie that had a haunted set. It is. It is. We could do a hundred haunted movie sets. We can we can revisit this. Okay, back to this. So they're now raising the Antichrist, which is cool. The devil. 
And wow. Every couple's dream come true. Yay, we're famous. <laughs> While the film was made, it wasn't made without some hesitation. Yeah, Bob yes. Munger, who was one, the one that came up with the idea behind the film, warned producer Harvey Berhard and said, If you make this movie, you're going to have some problems. If the devil's greatest single weapon is to be invisible and you're going to do something which is going to take away his invisibility to millions of people, he's not going to want to let that happen. Whoa. So it's kind of similar to what you were saying, where it's like if it, there's something demonic, they they don't want exposure they don't want people to learn yeah that's such an interesting way to to word it because to me and and after reading stories of scary demonic forces to me it seems like they want this like attention and power but maybe they want to control that power so it's like if it's out of their hands they don't like it Mm -hmm. and then too these movies are basically broadcasting to everyone what to do in the event that there is a haunting or how to recognize the signs before it's too late. I just had a bad thought. (gasps) Was it placed there? No. It was the same brain that thought of the kids that were abducted at Sesame Place. Charlie's brain? (laughs) (laughs) Or different answer? I thought about how we talk often about how to protect about spirits. (laughs) Why are you saying this? I'm telling you. I I told you. I warned you I had a bad thought. It's 10 o'clock at night. Okay. Moving on. Okay. I'm scared. Let's talk about something scarier than my thoughts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Harvey Berhard did go through with producing the film, but 30 years later in an interview, in his response to him wearing a cross on set. So he wore a cross when he was on set mm-hmm. and someone brought it up in an interview. And he said, quote, I wasn't taking any chances. The devil was at work and he didn't want that film made. We were dealing in areas we didn't know about. And later on in the picture, it got worse, worse and worse. It did get worse. And some actors oh won't gosh. even. Sp- oh, sorry. This is the end quote. Now this is my own words. <laughs> <laughs> Just kept it bleeding. Um, so it did get worse and some actors won't even speak about it, including Harvey Stevens, who was the little boy who played Damien in the film. Oh my gosh. And the cast and crew, it was filled with professionals. Like a lot of these people had a lot of experience on numerous different sets and were well known in the industry at the time. Right. But they all felt like something was off and they were very nervous while filming. And they didn't get to have Lorraine Warren on set. To help. No, they didn't have any experts out there just running around telling them what's bad and good. Oh, gosh. And they did feel like there was an evil presence on set, which was very evident with what was to come. It's a bit of, like, haunting on set and also just, like, a curse of bad luck. Yikes. (sighs) It's a bad omen for the omen. The bad luck started when Jonathan Peck who was cast as the lead role and was also the son of Gregory Peck, who was also in the movie. Jonathan Peck committed suicide two months before filming was scheduled. So he was supposed to be the lead, and it's thought that he his death was a suicide only two months before the film. Wow. And then when production began, there were dogs that were used on set. There were Rottweilers, I believe, in a scene or two. 
and they went absolutely nuts and reacted so violently and even turned on their trainers and bit through the protective gear. Like, they were possessed. These are oh. trained dogs, like actors. Well, that also – it also makes me sad because this movie came out in 1976, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that they were as strong of laws to protect animals and actors on set. So, like, who knows? Maybe they were treating them terribly. Maybe. But there was a lot more to come that oh, gosh. would maybe make me think that it was something supernatural. Something paranormal. Um, So, yeah, the dogs bit through the protective gear. And then other accidents and fatalities started to build up as well. There's a scene in the movie with a baboon. And the scene was filmed on a safari park. And just days after the crew wrapped up that scene, the animal handler who had helped them with the baboon on set was eaten alive by a lion. What? Eaten alive by a lion. I can't even imagine. I know. That sounds... There's just so much more, too. This is so horrible. This is a dark one. Sorry, you guys. Okay. A crew member was in a car accident, which he survived... And a screenwriter, David Seltzer, was in a plane that was struck by lightning. And then Gregory Peck and the executive producer, Mace Neufeld, also had their two planes struck by lightning not long after David Seltzer's plane. So that's three struck by lightning. And you know who else was struck by lightning? The producer of the film, Harvey Bernard. So there's a lot of lightning happening. That is crazy. (sighs) Yeah, and there's the same amount of plane incidents because the crew had scheduled to use private a private plane in a few scenes, but the schedule had to change last minute as the plane was needed by, like, a few businessmen. They postponed shooting the scenes because other people needed it for, like, actual flight. Right. Um, and just after the plane took off, it crashed onto the road and ran into a car, and it killed everyone in the accident. This is Final Destination stuff. It is. Oh, my gosh. It keeps going, though. It's wild. And then Gregory Peck, again, Gregory Peck, he's like, he lost his son to a suicide. And then he was one of the ones that had his plane struck by lightning. And then he was supposed to fly to Israel and he ended up canceling his flight. And then that flight that he was supposed to be on crashed and everyone on board died. I, oh my gosh. I know. A stuntman, Alf Joint, also reported that he had been pushed by an unknown force. And this was after the omen. He was working on the set of A Bridge Too Far. Um, and he was supposed to jump, like just do a jump. I think it was like a one-story jump from a roof onto one of those big airbags. And he's a stunt guy. Like he does this all the time. But right. all of a sudden he fell in this really awkward man manner and obviously didn't fall correctly. And he had to be taken to the hospital. And when he woke up, he said that he had been pushed. But people were watching and there was no one around him at the time. So clearly there's something demonic on set that's trying to basically kill everyone. Kill everyone. On Friday the 13th, there was a very horrific accident that occurred. One of the special effects slash set designers... John Richardson had come up with the idea of a decapitation scene, which was included in the film. And then he, just like the stuntman, went on to work 
on the set of A Bridge Too Far. And while he was working on that set, I think it was in the Netherlands that they were filming. And on Friday the 13th, Richardson was in a head-on car accident with his assistant, Liz Moore. And the car's front wheel flew up through the windshield and into the passenger seat, decapitating Liz in the way that was almost identical to what Richard had Richardson had created for the omen. Liz obviously lost her what? life in the accident. And Richardson, oh. who had previously kind of dismissed the idea that there was a curse on the omen, became a firm believer. And it followed them. Yes. And what's even creepier is the site of the crash was 66.6 kilometers away from the town of Omen. They crashed, and there's a sign that says 66.6 kilometers away. Omen. (laughs) The amount of drool that has formed inside my mouth, because I have not closed it. I know. That is... This wasn't the only time that 666 appeared on set, though. Because there were multiple occasions where the camera flashed the error message. It said error 666. But the only problem is 666 is not an error message number. And I need to stop saying that in succession. I've said it too many times for me to feel comfortable. Yeah. Oh, I am. This is, I had, I don't have words. I know. And then the director, Richard Donner, was staying at a hotel with his wife And the IRA, which was the Irish Republican Army, bombed the hotel that they were staying at. And the restaurant where all of the execs and actors were supposed to have dinner that night was also bombed. Donner and his wife miraculously survived, luckily. But he did get hit by a car during production. And he also survived that. I'm in (laughs) shock. You're not making me want to see this movie at all. There's so much. Another injury occurred to an actor who played the taxi driver. Um, and the accident happened when Gregory Peck accidentally slammed a car door on this actor's hand and it nearly took off his finger. And he had to have his finger wrapped and you can actually see it in the final film because he was still wearing his bandage while shooting. Oh my gosh. And in 2006, the remake did not go without a hiccup either. And while it wasn't as haunted or as cursed as the previous 1976 film. They did lose 13,500 feet of film. It just disappeared, which is so expensive Whoa. and so much yeah. film. They, and they had to reshoot all of it. Yeah. And the film, the part of the film that was lost was the scene where Damien's 666 birthmark is exposed. And it just vanished. And the lab had no idea what happened. And oh it was gosh. said that they were in tears over it. They were so freaked out and so upset that it was lost. Right. Um, and was it the same people involved in the making of the remake? I did not look that up. I, I don't know. Because I'd be interested to know if it was different people and maybe it had a little bit more to do with the people involved with the first movie. We'd have to look at IMDb yeah. or something. Maybe a few people, but I know like director, producer wise, I think it was all different. Interesting. And then also the actor who played Father Brannon, Pete Postlewaite. Sorry, I probably butchered his name. That's okay. Pete Postlewaite. He was playing poker one night, and he drew the cards six, six, and six. And a week later, his brother died out of the blue. So the set has a lot of negative energy around it, obviously. But this, the 1976 set was not the first 
cursed movie set that the director, Richard Donner, had worked on. So maybe it has to do with the director. It could be, because the Superman movies were said to be cursed as well. Uh, George Reeves, who played the Superman, who played Superman on TV in the 50s, was shot with a single bullet and died in sort of mysterious circumstances in 1959. And then two decades later, Richard Donner was directing the first Superman film. And Christopher Reeves, the actor who played Clark Kent. Slash who went to my high school. Christopher Reeves did? Yeah, he went to my high school. Princeton Day School. What up? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, but he was involved in a riding accident and was paralyzed. And then his mm-hmm. co-star, Margot Kidder, developed psychosis. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about his co-star. Yeah. So just craziness. And <sighs> you would think that Hollywood would just try to avoid touching anything to do with the omen, clearly. But A&E came out with a series called Damien, which is based off the omen. It got canceled after a season or two. But it was more recently out, like in the past few years. So I do wonder if anything happened on that set. If they experienced. There was any misfortune. It's wild how much happened on that set. Like, I feel like. It's scary how much happened. I feel like one or two instances you can write off as like, you know, a random life occurrence. But the amount of things that happened. Yes. There were like. Really makes you wonder. Three or four car crashes. Four planes got hit by lightning. Two planes crashed. It's like the 12 Days of Christmas song, but with, like, death. On the first day of filming The Omen, I'll give you... On the first day of filming, The Omen gave to me a decapitation in the passenger seat. (laughs) On the second day of filming, The Omen gave to me two lightning Two lightning strikes, three car crashes, six error messages. (laughs) Oh my god, that's terrifying. And a curse to last eternity. That was actually beautiful about a really tragic thing. (laughs) Oh, I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. Yikes. So, that's it, guys. (laughs) That's what we'll just leave you there. Goodbye. No. Um... Wow. Yeah. Yikes. And there are also there are also a ton of movies that have nothing to do with the paranormal that also were haunted or are believed to have had curses that came from filming. Like the Wizard of Oz set, I think in the background of one of the scenes you can see a munchkin hanging itself. Yeah, I do remember seeing that video. Because I watched it so many different times because the Wizard of Oz has so many different kind of like conspiracy theories about what happened on set yeah. and like what was behind it i watched it so many times and i do think that it was like a crane or a peacock or something they said that but i watched it so many times as well and it, it, <laughs> <laughs> we both watched it and saw something different it just it, the way it looked it didn't look like a bird that actually like it doesn't look like a bird could be that way it's just it's a big bird like it's a like a crane and then it moves its head and then moves its wing too so it looks like something spinning but really it's so, I don't know. Let's just rewatch the <laughs> video and then... Or this is, like, proof that you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Right. Um, and this is, too, why so many people, when they see photos that scare them, like, of Champ the Sea Monster in, like, Champlain or of ghosts or whatever, right. people don't always want to believe it or they see something different, which is what right. 
I guess the the drama behind the drama, the drama, <laughs> oh, the drama of paranormal photos. People just see what they want to see. It's true. But also on the Wizard of Oz set, they had I think the Tin Man, the guy who played, or the guy who was originally cast to play the Tin Man, uh, had an allergic reaction to the aluminum. That I they remember. Used. I remember hearing that. Uh huh. And he was in the hospital and recovering for eight weeks and like wasn't able to play, take the role. And someone else had to come Which in. That is so sad. Like your your huge break, right? For the Wizard of Oz role. too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then I think the woman who played the Wicked Witch of the West. Is it the West or the East? Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah, Wicked Witch of the West. She caught on fire multiple times. Because East Coast is the best. So the <laughs> West Coast. Now we have dueling coasts between we do the have two dueling of us. Coasts. Ooh. But we're both from the East Coast. That's true. <laughs> so we have to be biased towards it. <laughs> Represent. Um, but yeah, there are so many haunted movie sets. There really are. Yeah. Like looking them up. And so many movies that you wouldn't think would have anything. Like just normal, nice comedies right. or like a rom-com <laughs> drama. Rom-com. It's all about love and then behind the scenes it's death. It's horror. <laughs> Murder. Murder. Man. Um, we have listener stories. Should we read? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of other people or people who have emailed us from movie sets, mm-hmm. no, but we, we do have listener stories, yeah, which we, we always include. Pick a few. I have a story from John, and it has no subject lines. John, hey, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've seen a lot of paranormal events, and I find it fun to hear other people's experiences. We do too, John. (laughs) My story begins in a little town called Frostburg, Maryland. I was about 15 years old, and we lived in a house where the backyard faded into a Civil War cemetery. That should have been a good warning. So my aunt and cousin were visiting us on a rainy and dreary night in the middle of the summer. My aunt and parents were in the dining room playing cards. I was watching TV in the living room, and my sisters and cousin, they were young, about eight or nine, were asleep in their rooms. I decided to go to the bathroom, and I had to pass my sister's room to get there. As I passed, the door was open, and they were all asleep. Then, my parents started laughing, so I turned to see, and when I turned back around, there was a young girl with bleach white hair and a white nightgown facing away from me, standing over my sister's and cousin. My hair stood straight up, like when lightning strikes, too close, and I hurried to the bathroom. I spent 15 minutes in there, trying to decide, trying to figure out what I had seen. I finally worked up the courage to leave the bathroom, having decided it was my cousin, because she had long blonde hair. When I finally left, I didn't look in their bedroom. I went straight to the dining room and told my mom I thought one of the girls was awake. As I followed her to check in on them, I noticed that they were all fast asleep and none of them were wearing white nightgowns. Ever since that day, I got the the chills and an overwhelming sense of dread any time I went near that room. Oh my gosh. That's really scary. It's scary, but it's not terrifying. You know what I mean? Like, it could have just been, like, a ghost who wanted friends and wanted to hang out. Maybe, but it's standing over and watching sleeping people. But I guess it's a little girl. It's a little girl. Maybe she wanted to sleep over. The scariest part of that email to me is that he went into the bathroom, which I think is a scary location because you have a shower curtain and then you have a reflective mirror. But that's also what Hannah's... In Hannah's email, that's what her dad and uncle did as well. They hid in the bathroom for 15 minutes. Guys, guys, don't, don't, don't do that. Find a different Where would you hide, though? What's a better place than, like, I don't know. I think it's better to see something, but to be able to see everything 
than to be in an area where you have some of your sight obstructed. Right. Like, I guess the bathroom is small, and so you feel kind of more protected because you're in a small space. But again, the shower curtain. What's behind the shower curtain? The shower curtain can reach out and grab you. The shower curtain itself can grab you? Swaddle you and eat you? Eat you? Suffocate you? You just get sucked into the drain. Uh Uh-huh. And then you slowly decompose, and then your sludge goes through the sink, the (laughs) hole, the drain, and no one ever finds you. And then... Your friend comes to eventually find you because you go missing for 500 hours or however long it takes for a body to decompose. <laughs> Got to go to the body farm again because I don't know how long it takes. Um, but in my mind, it's 500 hours. And they go in and they look in the mirror and then they see a demon looking back at them. Or they see the friend trapped inside the mirror. Banging. Oh banging the upside the down. Yeah. Well, we just told a very realistic version of what will happen to you in the bathroom, so just don't go in there. Don't go in there. Do you have a listener story? Oh, yeah. Of course you do. Because we always have listener stories. Okay. Well, I have one. And this isn't about – it's not that there's a celebrity or a haunted set or anything like that, but this person actually has – Someone in their family that passed away that technically, I believe, is now a form of celebrity. Celebrity. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So this is from Skylar. She said, hi, so I just found your guys' podcast and I absolutely love it. I'm totally into paranormal stuff and ghosts and the thought of them interests me. Us too. Mm -hmm. You guys had mentioned emailing with any stories we had and, well... As y'all could probably see, I have a ghost in my family. My mom was doing our genealogy one day and came across a name that no one has heard of in my immediate family. There was a little girl about four or five years old named Missouri Jane Galiner. I love that name. I know. Missouri Missouri Jane. Jane. Missouri Jane. It sounds like a famous actress's name. It does. I'm going to name my kid Missouri Jane now. (laughs) You have so many names for your kids. I'm going to have just (laughs) Charlie. Hunter? Was it Hunter? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. (laughs) I'm going to have 40 children. And then 40 pets. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Missouri Jane Galiner. She died in 1846 due to an accidental drowning. A few years later, I'm not quite sure when, the city drained the lake and filled it. Then in 1972, Kings Island Amusement Park opened. And now for over 30 years, there have been sightings of a little girl in a blue dress or... The, quote, tram girl. So, like, she was given that nickname, I guess. I wonder if she, like, rides the tram. I know. What a good place to know. to live out your All aboard. ghostly life. Kings Island has had many claims of different ghosts haunting the park. But a few years ago, Ghost Hunters did an episode where they went to Kings Island. And they were able to debunk four out of the five cases that they went to investigate. And the one case that they were not able to debunk was Missouri Jane Galiner. No way. She's like my five to six times great aunt on my dad's side. I mean, it kind of helps solidify it when her gravestone is right next to the parking lot for the amusement park. I've also attached a photo of Missouri's headstone. headstone. Not many people believe me or think I'm making it up, but I choose to believe it. And I just thought it would be cool to share with y'all. Skylar. Whoa. I mean, it's. 
tragic that she died right that way but then i feel like ideal situations like on top of that area they're gonna build an amusement park for you to spend the rest of eternity in and yeah as a four or five year old child it's probably so fun yeah i'm sure i did ask skylar though if she'd been to the amusement park Mm -hmm. and she said that she hasn't but she wants to go oh that's so cool i wonder if she'll see her right and then like if missouri jane will know that it's her great niece yeah do you think that there's just some sort of connection where in the spiritual world you know who your relatives are or do you think maybe skylar would be able to see her very clearly because she's got some familial line with her spirit i don't know i don't know well skylar if you go please let us know what happens yeah let us know if you see missouri jane um if anyone else has ghost (laughs) stories (laughs) Uh, if you have any ghost stories yourself, if it's your friends or family, daughter, brother, sister, mother, the father, lover, son, Holy Spirit, <laughs> <laughs> any of those, uh, especially Holy Spirit, we want to know what you're up to, you know, um, send us an email to two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram, mm-hmm. on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, and then we also have a private Facebook group where people can privately share stories with each other, and it won't come up on your yeah. news feed. You can, like, people. be as weird and spooky and haunted as you want in that page, and no one will judge you. Right. Rate and review us on iTunes, please. And we will see you on the other side.